Hey everybody, welcome back to the Third Deck Lounge podcast. Today I have Caleb Zini here to talk to us about his deployment with 1-8 through the Mediterranean and then uh, his whole experience in Afghanistan. And uh, Caleb, welcome to the show. Hey, what's up, man? Hey. So uh, I think it's going to be a really, really cool story. Um, and it's it's kind of cool that we can do this on a podcast and we can really just take the time to go super in depth with the whole the whole story mm-hmm. yeah for sure so yeah i'll start with the workup because like the workup's generally like a big part of the mu but my platoon my old platoon 81s we started out the workup like a couple months before even we even got told where the deployment was so we did a bunch of ranges and then I left 81, so I went to Charlie Company 1-8 Weapons Platoon, and we were, we started doing these hikes because this year, well, they started off like the, with this new thing for the Mew Workups where it's like a 15-mile hike, then a 17-and-a-half-mile hike, and then it culminates with a 25, like a, not 25, 20-mile hike for McCree. And we were in the field like a lot. So if you're listening to this and you're about to do a Mew or a Mew workup, like it's going to suck and be brutal. We were definitely out in the field like for maybe two weeks out of of, like every other month. But yeah, workup was brutal. We did, uh, towards the end, we did a couple ship ops and then we deployed. So. We started off the deployment thinking it was just another peacetime Mew crossing the Atlantic. Me and one of my buddies got really belligerent about it on ship, actually. Like, we would just talk, like, tell our platoon sergeant, this is just a deployment for training. All we're going to do is go around the Mediterranean and, tra- and train and stuff. So we got, like, to the U.K. We got told in the U.K. that um, we weren't going to be able to have it as a libo port really because of covid and everything but we ended up porting there um we were we did a field out there but the first day we got there we were able to go out and enjoy the the port itself and and drink so after about two weeks crossing the atlantic everyone was pretty excited to drink and we got into this massive birthing fight like First, second, third, weapons platoon, engineers, everybody. And it was really bad, but then we had to go to the field of the next day in the UK. And that was like straight PBs, a couple of CMP shoots. Like, uh, it was pretty, pretty shitty in the field. Uh, but then we stayed up there, left the UK, and then went down through the Straits of Gibraltar. Yeah, Straits of Gibraltar. And we went to Greece. In Greece, we had no clue where we were going. Like, we got told we might go to Germany, we might go to Turkey and train. We weren't we weren't sure. And then they said, oh, we're going to Fifth Fleet and we're going to go through the Suez Canal. So, then we still had no clue what we are doing. Most of this stuff was like, on the fly getting told like a couple days before we were going to do it kind of thing 
So once we got through the Straits of Gibraltar, I mean, the Suez Canal, we went down to Saudi Arabia, did a field op, kind of a two-week field op there. We lived in these big-ass tents, and we did a bunch of ranges, a lot of training out there. And then uh, after that, we had no, we got back on ship, no clue what we were going to do. And I was on ship for maybe a couple hours, and they said we're going to Bahrain next. I was like, oh cool, we're going to Bahrain. That's like a huge Navy base. So we went to Bahrain. Bahrain was really nice. We got uh, we got to go out, like, explore, like, the Navy base there. And then as we were leaving Bahrain, there, we thought up until that point, we we're just going to do, like, circles, like grid square circles in the Persian Gulf until it was time to go back to the Suez. And then they tell us we're going to go go to Kuwait because things in Afghanistan are looking pretty uh, pretty crazy. And this was around month five or six in the deployment. So we go to Kuwait. We went to Al Jabra Air Base. It's like kind of Kuwait's a really small uh, country, so it's like we're pretty close to Camp Buring and Al Salim Air Base. But we went there. We sat around for about two weeks. It was super nice. Just uh, trained for Neo, and the training really wasn't what Afghanistan was really like. But up until then, we had no clue what it was going to be. And I remember in Kuwait while we were there, my friend, one of my friends from CAT that I'd went to boot camp with, and he's a really good friend of mine, walks up to me and he's like, "Hey, Zini." do you think we're going to go to Afghanistan? And I was like, no, no, we're not. They're just trying to pull our dicks to make us like excited because they always do that. And two days later, I'm in the, I'm in the defect there just at like 12 at night. And then we see the announcement Biden sending 5,000 troops from Kuwait to Afghanistan and it took me like a second to register like that was us. And we hadn't even gotten any word about it. But we didn't really get any solid word from our command about it either. Like we just got told to do a couple gear inspections. Um, like they're like, okay, we're going to Afghanistan. There wasn't really an official order or brief for it. They're like, hey, we're going to Afghanistan, pack your gear do an inspection and then we're gone pretty what, much what was everybody's minds like what was everybody thinking like when seeing that shit on the tv like and it kind of hitting home that like oh fuck wait that's us yeah um everyone was really excited honestly yeah but we had no clue what we were going to do over there we weren't sure if it was a neo we weren't sure if we we're just going to go like Back in like loser style retake Kabul kind of thing. Yeah, final standard or something. Yeah, we we're like we we're like it felt like the night before Christmas, sitting in the airport, just like ready to go. And it was uh. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, and um, when you guys were at like the airport, and and what was everybody kind of like? Was everybody just like, like, fuck yeah, like, this is, we're going in, like, 
Was that kind of where we were? Yeah, that's... Yeah, that was the mindset of pretty much everybody. So Alpha Company had already been there. So when we left, it was like a day or two after Alpha Company. So we were starting to hear back from the dudes from Alpha saying like they were already getting shot at and stuff. So everybody was like getting really excited kind of thing. But yeah, we uh, we get there can't remember what date it was i think it might have been august 13th we got there mm-hmm. and the first thing i like i walk off a plane and i look around and i see the mountains and i'm like holy shit i'm actually here and kabul like on the side of one of the mountains it's actually really funny they have like a hollywood sign except it's like kabul in arabic and it's what all kind fuck? of shitty and yeah it's really weird it's all like kind of all all shitty and old and run down. That's weird. Yeah. When we got there, it was really calm. Like, uh, we were, uh, we were show, we walked to our barracks, but as soon as we got there, all of us started, like, they started throwing us up on posts or shit to the Abbey gate. Uh, then second platoon, man, the Abbey gate, and I was at the terminal that first day, but then there we heard a, a Indian soldier picked up a cell phone IED over at the Abbey Gate with Second Platoon, and it blew his hand off. So we're all like, "Holy shit!" Hearing that back at the main terminal. But um, yeah, so I stood post that first day. Think about I'm in mortars. Think about my mortar section is like we're extremely small, like seven dudes to the section. So for a bit, they were treating us like we're an entire platoon and throwing us up on shifts that were like crazy long hours until uh, we just finally got merged into third platoon. But then uh, being a couple of my buddies, first night there, we were laying in our racks in the barracks. And we hear one of the 11s, one of the squad leaders running through the hallways. He's like, everybody get the fuck up. They just broke through the terminal. They pushed us back. We heard they have small arms. We got to go now. Everyone throw on your kit. So we jumped out of our racks, threw in our gear, went went down to the first deck where the rest of the company was. And by then it was like half the company because the other half was manning posts at like Northgate and Abbey. So it was about half a company of us out there. And they were like, we thought we were going to get overrun that first night. So we had like dudes posted up on doors and everything. And we're all lined up uh, about to run out and go reinforce whoever was out at the terminal. Cause they broke through the main one. So we all go, we all go condo one because up until that point, most of us weren't condo one. So they pass that back. Everyone goes condo one. And um, we do like a dead sprint movement to contact from our barracks to the terminal. And once we get there, we all get online with our, like, and we're just looking out the open airstrip. Like, we couldn't really see too much. 
And then we heard we heard there were Marines downrange. We were pointing our rifles at. So we did another sprint after the sprint we just did. And we linked up with the Alpha Company and a couple like Advon dudes from the 82nd and a couple guys from Third Ranger Bat, I believe. And we're standing in front of that one C-17 where they loaded like, I think 600 people or some crazy number onto it. That first day. Do you, do you remember seeing that on the news? That first night? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember. I, I was paying pretty close attention to it because I, I knew you were there, so I was, I was pretty, I was worried about you. And uh, yeah, some other friends there too. Yeah, so uh, this is like, so we we see the rest of our dudes out there, Alpha Company. It was mainly just half of Charlie and Alpha out there at that time. The rest of the battalion hadn't shown up, 2-1 hadn't shown up. And so we were just, like, telling these people to, like, move back, like, push back to the main terminal. Because they were, like, in front of, they were on the actual airstrip, like, in the way kind of thing. So we're, like, pushing them, using the the non-lethals on them. At that time, we didn't have a lot of flashbangs or anything, so we just used the the dazzlers. Did you guys ever have those? Uh, no. The what? They're like they're called the dazzlers. They're it looks like a bigger. It look kind of looks like an eye cougar, or like a massive Peck sixteen, and it just shoots like a really like really strong light at them. Yeah, I have no idea what the fuck that is. <laughs> Yeah, but we used those. We pushed them back. We pushed them back pretty far. And once we got to that main terminal, that's when we we started getting shot at, kind of. Like, I remember, so on the left side, apart, some guys from my company, there was a guy with an AK just shooting at him. So they took cover, returned fire all that good stuff. We weren't sure if they they killed him or not. And as I was standing there at the front of the terminal, somebody like shot at me like with a it was either small arms or some sort of machine gun, I don't know. But I just saw the dirt like kick up at my feet and I was like, "Holy shit, I'm getting shot at." Like Jesus it was Christ. It was like pretty cool. Like I don't know, like I was like, "Damn, this is pretty cool." Like, I don't know how any way to explain it, but yeah, getting shot at was uh, definitely like a different experience. But so we had them all lined up at that terminal and we noticed like a whole other mass of them was coming from the left side. And we did this little patrol, like we just grabbed random dudes like, you're like, hey, you're coming with us. Didn't matter what platoon or company you were with. And there were holes in the wall up on the left side near the main main terminal. And we were just posted up there, just making sure, like, no one came through there. And there was a watchtower up there. And two of the riflemen were up there, and they call me. They're like, hey, hey, Corporal Zini, get up here. There's something uh, I think I, you need to see. 
and I climb up into the post. And I was like, what, what the fuck's happening? And they're like, those dudes right under us with M4s, AKs, saws, machine guns. And I was like, what the fuck? And I looked down and sure enough, there's like at least, at least 30 people there, like, uh, like take it, pulling out machine guns, small arms and shit, like loading, like loading them. And at that time, like our ROE was hostile act, hostile intent. You're good to shoot them. But I wasn't sure if what they were doing was considered hostile act, hostile intent. But I told them, I was like, look, if they point your rifles at you, we're shooting them. And we're just, they had no clue we're up there too. But we were pointing our rifles down at them. And one of the other riflemen, I was, I had told one of the squad leaders decides uh, to walk out, show his face. Once they saw that, they all just, they all just dipped. But out of that whole thing, we came back with like, like 10 M- M16s, like four 240s, an RPG, some old bolt action rifle from, I don't even know what era. It was old. And, we like had we all collected them and our first sergeant was like taking accountability for all the stuff we found and by then 21 got showed up and relieved us but when 21 showed up i thought i thought they were uh their recon or something cuz i was really confused because the recon like the murph dudes that were with us on deployment stayed on ship for uh for our for our boat for the LHD those uh, those recon guys went, but not with ours. But it turns out it was just two one. They they had more freedom to do like things with their gear, I guess, than we were. Like they showed up with their PBS thirty ones down. They had Haley Haley strategic chest rigs and multicam Pharaoh cummerbunds. It was like really weird seeing them. But yeah, they they show up. They relieve us there, and we go back to our barracks. And then maybe like two hours later, because by then we'd been up for... I was going to ask, how everything you just talked about, how much of a time span was that? That happened within, I'd like to say, 24 hours. So all, all that was just one day. Yeah, so that, yeah was just, that was our first day. That was the first day. That's that's crazy. Yeah. That, that's just the first so, day. Yeah, so they collect all the guys from Charlie Company. We walk back to our barracks. We think we're going to get some rest. But literally like an hour later, third platoon's, uh, platoon sergeant comes in. And he's like, hey, we, we, we got to go. I was like, what do you mean we got to go? He just got back. He's like, they just broke through. And I was like, again? And he's like, yeah, they just broke through again. So everybody who's left from third all went out there again to the same place where we're at. And the people had pushed everybody who went to, who relieved us back to, uh, to almost our terminal where we were processing people. And that point, I thought, I was thinking, like, damn, we might get overrun here. 
And there was, uh, that's when the 82nd was also showing up. And it was us, a couple guys from 10th Mountain. Like, we're so short, short, like, staffed out there that our battalion commander and sergeant major were out there with us, like, pushing people back. Like, it was insane. And there, like, Delta was out there, too, like, throwing flashbangs into the crowd. Like, it was, that was, like, insane. We, like, somehow pushed them all the way back about halfway. And when when we were doing that, the Apaches were coming, flying really low. Like, maybe two-story, like, I can't really equate how high they were. I think I know what you're talking about. Were they like flying low and like across the runway to like clear path for the uh the the one C one thirties? No, so they were going really, really low and then turning the turning like so the rotor wash would shoot at the at the people. Oh, and just like pushing like, them they back. were so Yeah, they were so close I could see like the pilot do like the devil horns thing at me and I like did it back and I was like, ah, that's so cool. Ah. <laughs> and yeah. And uh, yeah, that's around that time was the same time when the people were on the side of the C-17, like falling off. Like um, I was on, I was maybe 10 feet away from the runway when that happened. They were, just sitting on top of the landing gear, like maybe 15 of them on the side I was looking at. And they were all waving at us. Like, like they were like leaving on the Titanic kind of thing. Like they, they thought they wouldn't, they wouldn't die from doing that. Mm-hmm. And I grabbed one of my buddies who's next to me. I was like, yo, are you seeing this? This is like some Tom Cruise mission impossible kind of shit. And it takes off. And you can start seeing the people fall off on the runway. And it turns out a couple of uh, my junior guys from 2nd Platoon got put on a working party to clean up the pancake bodies off the airstrip with the, with the Turks. Jesus. Yeah, but... Yeah, so... This is uh, almost directly after, like, the stuff from last night we put, we finally push him back and we get, we get orders to go over to the North gate, which, so it was really weird. We were just getting random taskings out there, like just filling in holes that needed to get filled kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So we went up to the North gate in this janky ass bus and by then, uh, by then it was like half a third platoon out, like up at that gate. Second platoon was manning Abbey. And we, um, when I got there, like, they were like, uh, they were like, oh, holy shit. Like, there might be a Taliban counterattack. That's what Intel's been saying. So we're standing there waiting and waiting. Nothing happened. But, um, we were up at Northgate for a good day or so after that without having to go back to the barracks. And that night, the, we were like processing people and stuff too. Um, there was a guy who had been shot and one of my junior dudes 
he's actually getting the cert comp for this. He ran up to him, patched him up, put in a needle D and everything, but his patient died on him. Uh, there's no save in a patient that has a shot through the shoulder and exit wound at his kidneys thing, but yeah. um, but he did that. Um, we stayed there for a little bit, and then we got a little bit of rest, not a lot, because um, directly after that we all went back to the barracks to rest, and then we got told we had to go to North, not Northgate, Eastgate. That's where our comp. That's our company's main area of operations was Eastgate from then on, from there and then on. And so at Eastgate, um, we get there first, second, third, we start manning the, like the ECC kind of thing. And when we were manning the ECC, it, it started off really good. Cause like, we were just, like checking people's IDs. It was US passports, visas, green cards, and naturalization cards. That's the only kind of, like that's the only thing we're like letting in kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't, like you're getting kicked the fuck out. So there would be people with like bullshit ass documents. And I remember before that, like the big big thing was SIVs from the news. Like they were always making a big deal about SIVs. I remember seeing a kill zone on his Instagram that his turp was having a hard time with the SIV process. So at that time, the state department had messed up so badly that they hadn't processed anybody's SIVs by the time of the, the Neo. So we kind of fucked the, anybody who actually did help us during the war. Um, so there were dudes like showing me pictures of them with like ODA, uh, other Marine Corps infantry units. They would be like, they would try to get us to talk on the phone to dudes that they were with. And at the time we're like, yeah, we, we really can't do anything, man. Like we'd love to, but like, we can't, we can't help you, can't help you out kind of thing. And after that, like, so yeah, some people had these like, pieces of paper they printed off of just like the u.s state department's logo and it's obviously kind of fake mm-hmm. but but then so we'd been kicking those people out all day and then we got word from the top that anything with a united states logo of anything we could let in and we're like what the fuck that's weird okay so we started letting those people in, and then by then, we got told um, the president had a quota he had to meet, like thirty thousand for the next for this week, like thirty thousand people coming through the gates. So we just stopped. We stopped vetting people, like we stopped doing back, like checking to see their documents and stuff. Only thing they did was like we sent them. We took them and then we sent them to the detailed search. And then after that to the terminal and at the terminal, they had like the seek, the seek machine kind of thing where they take like their handprints and take a picture of their face. But yeah, most the, of these people, uh, 
little bio scanner thing. Yeah, but like most of these people had never done it before, so they weren't gonna pop up either way if they were Taliban or ISIS. But um, yeah, so we were doing that, and then we see I like the Taliban rolling up in some uh, in these trucks, and they hadn't told us that there was a truce with the Taliban. So all of us were like, what the fuck? Why are they coming this close to us? Kind of thing. And one of the LTs told me, um, stand down. We have a truce with them. And I was like, that would be, that would have been really nice to know before they just came up and we might've gotten into shooting at them kind of thing, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So the, the Taliban come up to us and they're literally walking like w- through our ECC walking up to us, talking to us like, like they actually did help us out. I know it's kind of fucked up to think this, but like they were actually helping us like control the crowds. But what we, I found out later is whenever we would pull inside of our gate and it was just them and the Taliban, they, uh, they would like shoot people in the crowd and just drag their bodies away or take them out back and just execute them. But I remember seeing one Taliban kid. It looked like he was about 14, like a little kid kind of thing fighting with the Taliban. And he was, he was just a cocky little fucking douchebag. And he shoulder checked me and I shoved him and his, I guess his elder dudes got pissed off at me. And then I pointed at the kid and they started bitching at him for pissing me off. And then my buddies were like, yo, you can't do that. You can't start shit with the Taliban. I was like, he fucking shoulder checked me. What the fuck am I supposed to do? Kind of thing. It, but what were you guys th- like? What was going through your guys' heads sitting there next to people that we've been fighting for the last 20 years but you guys are just sitting there face to face like literally just feet away from each other and you can't even we were like, pissed off yeah oh we were really we were because i, I imagine like, you'd, like all you'd want to do is just literally <laughs> just delete all of them yeah we were we were all pretty angry about it in the beginning and um yeah, it was just a really shitty situation, like, knowing these guys had been killing other Marines for the last fucking 20 years, and we couldn't do shit to them, kind of thing. And, oh, yeah, going off of that, so, by then, before the peace treaty was signed, some Taliban dudes were just being fucking cocky assholes at the Abbey gate to some of our machine gunners over in second, like they pointed the rifles at him and like shot, like kind of like not accurate fire, just like inaccurate. Um, nothing, nothing like they weren't trying to hurt him. I guess they were trying to scare him. But then the two guys who were on the two forty were like, fuck this and mowed them down. <laughs> and this was like the hour of the peace treaty. I think I heard so about the Taliban. That. 
they that was a big deal because that, that was in the news like very it was in, it was insane for me watching all this happen because as it was happening i had my tv on right over there and five ten minutes later they'd start talking about it on the tv and it, it was insane it was like literally everybody was watching this shit in like real time getting yeah. updates on it like it was like a fucking football game or something oh yeah it's like that um that one youtube video like the millennial world war three um that's on youtube it's it was like that like all of us had service all of us had our phones kind yeah. of thing yeah and yeah in 81s like 81s they were driving the um there's actually a really funny video out there somewhere of it but 81s they <laughs> they were transporting the civilians from the um from the ECCs to the terminal and inside the bus they were they connected to the ox somehow the bus and we're just like blasting 50 cent <laughs> oh, and just bumped dude, in with all the I Afghans. did see that. I did see that actually. I don't know where yeah, that video that is. I need to find it. That that yeah, was but were... Yeah. That was funny as fuck. <laughs> yeah, they were just bumping to 50 cent with the Afghans and all the Afghans were about it. They were like, ah, kind of thing. <laughs> but where where were we at? We're at Eastgate. So over at Eastgate, um, the guys who would relieve us were Second LAR and Cat. And our first time switching off, that's where that picture was taken of the Marine, who's one of the platoon sergeants for Cat, um, picking up the baby outside the gate. And uh, we went back to our barracks, and that's when we had like maybe an actual break, like maybe ten hours. So we went back, went to the chow hall. They had soda there. It was great. And then we had to go back to work the gates. Um, but by then, like, they, like, fucked it up somehow. The the way, like, they had pushed all LAR and all of them back, like, really far. So we had to go back out there and push, take them back out kind of thing. So when you look, so I was standing on the, standing on a HESCO barrier, just looking out at it. And it's just a sea of people just getting crushed, like all of them just getting crushed for days. And people were throwing their babies in the seawire, throwing like mats over the seawire to like try and have somewhere to sit. Like shit like that. Like some, like the Afghan men are really selfish. So they put themselves in front of women and children instead of like fight, like maybe fighting the Taliban. Like there were dudes that would come up to us and tell us like they were like proudly tell us they were A&A kind of thing. And then we'd glare at them and we'd be like, why the fuck aren't you out there fighting the Taliban kind of thing? You know? Yeah. yeah so, um, yeah, that's, the second time we we're out there, that's when I was up on post with the shotgun. Non non-lethal rounds. Like I know there's a video out there that one of the dudes in Bravo put put out, but it was 
it shows that I'm yeah. shooting into a crowd. Yeah, I saw that, and I knew people were going to misinterpret it, like, immediately. I, I knew it was non-lethals, just, like, just from watching it. Yeah, but, but... yeah, but, like, the average American is going to look yeah, at that. Yeah, they're just going to think it's a shotgun, like... yeah. Yeah, like, um, one of the platoon sergeants from Bravo is like, yeah, so-and-so shooting into that crowd with a shotgun is a pussy-ass liberal's wet dream. Like, uh, the media um, presence there wasn't that big, actually. Because um, we put a pretty strict watch on CNN out there. Like, they weren't allowed to record or anything. <laughs> but, yeah. Like, Why were they even there? <laughs> dude, yeah, they were just standing there inside the terminal with, like, a couple Marines from H&S watching them. And... The way, like, we would fight back the crowds is, like, they would be push, pushing up on us, and we couldn't do anything except pushing back kind of thing. So we are pretty much, like, fighting the crowd, kind of, like, and letting 10 in at a time. And there it got to a point where, um, at the gate, where only military-age males were walking through, and... We had to get batons and riot shields to like, to like go out and just get women and children out. Um, yeah, but there were green berets out, like the you know, like all those pictures of like soft out yeah. there, like green berets, Delta, like that wasn't a soft mission set, and they would be out there kind of like picking and choosing people, like. They were looking for their own terps from past deployments, and it was really just fucking up everything like we were supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And one of the platoon commanders calls me over, and he's like, "Yo, Yosini, tell those dudes over there to to like stop, like tell them to fuck off." And and I look at who he's pointed at, and it's this old fucking CAG guy and his posse of other CAG dudes and PJs. <laughs> And I look back at him, and I just say, good to go, sir. But in my mind, I was like, there There's, ain't yeah, no fucking yeah, way. Yeah. Ain't no fucking way. 22-year-old, <laughs> 150-pound me is going to go and tell a salty-ass cag dude to fuck off. And his team. Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. That's a good way to just get fucked up. You'd be looking crazy. Yeah. Yeah, for real. Some of them were really cool. Like a bunch of them were actual former, uh, former Marines. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, one of them was a mutual friend of ours. Is uh, friend back in uh, one three actually. Huh. T tell me about it later. Yeah, but yeah, the cag dudes were pretty cool in general. Like we're out there tired and stuff, and they'd come by with rippets and hand them out to us. But after the East gate, we got like kind of a little break as a treat, but we'd been out there for like 72 hours. And then we had to stand post at the terminal, like where all the refugees were getting processed kind of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So we get there, it's H and S company in two one. And back at the gates, we're used to like, manhandling these people to get them to go where we wanted them to go. So we went to the terminal 
and there are all these refugees walking around like willy nilly, like doing whatever they wanted. And we're like, what the fuck? What? Why are they doing this? They need to stand in line, kind of thing. And so we get to the terminal, and all of us just start like grabbing the people and throwing them in line. And the H and S company, uh, one of the gunnies there, was like, "We got to get these Charlie boys away from the refugees. They just came back from working seventy-two hours at the gate." So <laughs> we just stood in lines, essentially, just watching them for like two days just standing there doing these crazy ass shifts like just watch standing there and watching them like we would get yelled at if we sat down or anything or took a knee and um that's around the time second platoon actually caught two dudes changing clothes clean shaved kind of thing turns out they were isis they handed them to cid and um they they were interrogated and we got told that they said that there were anti-air in the city of kabul like ready to shoot us down as soon as like we're ready to leave kind of thing mm-hmm. but um that kind of that kind of that one kind of got to me i was like wow that we might actually die here um and then right after that news dropped we heard Biden was extending our like might extend to September 30th. And in my mind, I was like, wow, we might actually really die here kind of thing. Cause our battalion gunner was telling us like either way, get ready to fight our way out, out of it. But after that, we're just standing guard on the refugees. Like my platoon third, we got put in front of the Italian refugees and that was like honestly that part of the experience really sucked but it gave us time to actually like interact with the afghans other than like shoving them through the gates and telling them to leave kind of thing because there were times like where we were out there there were like little kids that were really aware of their situation kind of thing like they would tell they would like ask us to kill them because the Taliban killed their family already, or if they went back, like the Taliban would kill would kill them. That kind of, like you don't. I guess like you don't really fully understand how evil Taliban are until you're there to see it up close. But it, when we were there, at standing in front of the Italians, like we got to actually interact with the kids and stuff, and it made us like think at least think like we're actually doing some kind of good out here. Um, so, so yeah, like we, that was a, a shitty, but kind of good experience. Just being able to hand out MREs, like play games with them. And then we had, then we got pulled back again and sent back to Eastgate. And by then that's when we were getting ready for the ISIS attack. Cause I heard on the news before my command even told us that ISIS was going to attack us kind of thing. Um, so we knew about the ISIS attack like three days in advance. Um, Hmm. so we were just filling up sandbags. Like we didn't change anything to our security posture other than like filming, like just reinforcing it kind of thing. But we're still working the gates. 
um, which was really dumb. And they're like, keep an eye out for this kind of truck. That one's going to, that might be a V bid. Um, so we're just up there observing, looking for stuff, for shit. And I got stuck at post post nine, which was really close to the Abbey gate, maybe a hundred meters away from Abbey. Um, but there was a farmer. I was in the, I was in the tower and there's this farmer there and he was just getting pissed off that like people were walking through his farm and shit. And I had like cases of water with me. So in exchange for me to keep people the fuck away from his shit, I would be, I asked him for cigarettes. So he would put cigarettes in a plastic bag with a rock and toss it over the fence and I'd catch it and uh give like toss out water and tell people to fuck off for him kind of thing. And I actually made some like I, I had a little posse by the end of that that time, like of Afghan kids, like I would just give them water. They'd give me cigarettes. I I teach them English. Maybe not the best kind of words in English, but um, <laughs> they would walk up to the other posts and they'd be like, "Call them cunts and shit." And the dudes in my platoon and the company, like they all know me. They're like, "Zini, is this you teaching the kids how to say this shit?" <laughs> and I was like, "Maybe, maybe," but yeah, that was a good experience and then at some point there was a kid too with a ice cream truck and he was tossing us popsicles over the wall and we would uh i had i was like wait do i have any money with me so i pull out my wallet sure enough i have a couple dollars and so i put it in a water bottle and chucked it back over to him and he gave me a fuck ton of uh popsicles i traded for cigarettes like I didn't want any fucking popsicles. I was dying for nicotine. Right. So, yeah, being able to actually interact with the people over there was, like, made me realize, like, yeah, this is why why we're here kind of thing. Like, this is why we've been here for, like, the last 20 years, just, like, to make a difference for them. But sometimes I'll still think and wonder, like, what the hell happened to the like the people I interacted with, because those were like people that weren't trying to leave Afghanistan. Like, um, there were some street urchin kids that would run in between all the gates, asking for water. Because what they would do with our water is they take it and then they would try and go sell it so they can make some money for their family. And I was just talking to an Afghan dude. Like one of the kids was just standing right in front of me. And an Afghan guy, I was like, what's he saying to me? And he's like, oh, you're saying, like, you're the guy to come to for, for water because you always give it to him. It's like, oh, yeah, that, that's cool. Here's, and I'd always, like, I, I definitely handed out more water than I should have to, to them. But because mm-hmm. I knew, like, at the same time, I knew, like, they actually weren't going to drink it. They were going to go off and pedal it off. Yeah. But... But yeah, that was all within the span of like just preparing for the ISIS attack kind of thing. And we didn't know like when it was going to happen, where it was going to happen. But the night of the Abbey Gate bombing. So the Abbey Gate 
I had been there a few times already before because to, like to escort people out and stuff. And Abbey Gate was an absolute shit show. Like their main line of defense was a chain link fence kind of thing. And it was just really poorly fortified. And on the left side was this irrigation canal. But people would like sometimes put their kids in and just ditch them for another, like another, like a better spot in the line. But the night of the bombing that happened, uh, the Brits were the ones manning the, the main part of the ECC. Like it was the Brits and then two, one out there. And I had heard that the Brits actually let through three IEDs, like not IEDs, but they were strapped to people. Well, I suicide vests. Yeah. Yeah. And the Marines caught them and before letting them in. And it was just like a matter of time until like one made it through. And the one that made it through was, uh, was a woman with 20 pounds of C4 and ball bearings. So that, yeah. And the attack, some of the Marines weren't killed in the initial bombing. They were actually killed in the gunfight that happened after were after the ISIS attack. So, um, when the bombing happened, like, like we knew, like even the Taliban, the Taliban, like they'll kill women and children. If, the women and children break the Taliban's rules kind of thing, you know? Uh-huh. But ISIS, ISIS doesn't really give a shit. So the woman with the C4 and ball bearings made it through. And then there was a gunfight afterwards that 2-1 was a part of. And after that, like, you could see, like, the people that like were wounded and stuff like there were like women and children like in fucking in wheelbarrows like in pieces like just their body parts and pieces just in a wheelbarrow and them walking from the direction of Abigate towards the east gate kind of thing and they drew and at the time like we had no clue what how many marines were killed it was like we heard at first four and then 10, then nine, and then finally 13. And we're at the time, we're like, what the fuck, man? Like, so we were, couldn't believe it. Were, were you at the gate? I was over on Eastgate. Oh, okay. Okay. So, right. Because I, I, it happened at Abbey Gate, right? Yeah. Okay. And like, we we're, we we're like, what the? Like, we couldn't believe it. Like, Marines hadn't been killed in Afghanistan in a lot in years. So, the fact that like that happened, we're all like, what the fuck? And earlier that day, two one those guys, they were manning. They were early, either earlier that day or a couple days before. I can't remember, but I was talking to all those dudes. Um, were man in the post because they stopped a little for a little bit in front of where I was standing post and I was like hey these kids are fucking trading cigarettes for water kind of thing 
and I remember seeing some of their faces too. And I I didn't know at the time it was two one Manning Abbey. I thought it was like Alpha or one eight. So we're just trying to figure out who got hit over there. And we were like when we found out everybody was pissed, like we were expecting like another ISIS counterattack. Kind of, like, you know, like how we get taught like to exploit yeah. shit like that. Yeah. We thought they were gonna exploit that attack and come at us again, so all of us were ready to get into a fight that never happened. But that happened. Um that was August twenty sixth. That was pretty close to us leaving. I remember going back to the terminal a couple times and talking to some of the guys from Ghost Company about it. One dude was telling me his RCO saved his life because a ball bearing came at him. And his RCO took the ball bearing and he showed me. But the two one dudes, uh, those guys went through a lot. Like, yeah. Oh, I'm I'm like like pulling their buddies off the X kind of thing. Like the shit that like you train for never thinks gonna happen to you. But they were they were out there pulling their buddies off the X, fucking getting into gunfights with ISIS. And that that shit was really fucked up kind of thing, because the dude I was talking to was telling me like the guys who were hitting the bomb were part of his platoon. And it was like that scene in the Pacific. Have you seen that show where, uh, where three, five was taken over for something from, I think seventh Marines and they were walking past each other. Yeah. Like it, it really reminded me of that. And I think that's when shit started winding down over in Afghanistan. We're just getting ready to leave. And we're, we left the morning of the 27th. I believe after the attack and we went back to barracks to like for a little bit of rest. And then we went back out to East gate again to man the post before we left. And at that time we, we really didn't have a plan for how we were leaving. Like we weren't sure what exactly the plan would be. Like, you know, it's like, who who the fuck's, like, going to stop these people from overrunning the positions as soon as right, we go? that's what I was thinking, too. I was like, so when these last couple, you know, companies are leaving and it's coming down to, like, you know, that last, you know, company, okay, the last two platoons, okay, all right, the last, all right, you know, the last platoon, you know, like, who's going to be covering those guys, you know? Mm-hmm. And it turned out that 82nd Airborne was that was their job to do. Like, um, like I start, I talked to guys, and I think it was in one five hundred four. Um, I think that's who was with us. Um, and I talked to him after Afghanistan, and I because I, I reached out through the internet to find out what happened, and it was like kind of like a mad dash kind of thing, like. They mm-hmm. kind of haul had to haul, haul ass and uh, get the fuck out of there, kind of thing. And you know that picture of the that general walking on the C seventeen with the PVS fourteens down, kind of thing. Yeah, that one picture. Yeah, apparently that was like kind of staged. 
Yeah, like, I heard about that. Yeah. Yeah, he wanted to be uh, the last one out. Or yeah, like, but, yeah. Ironic. Yeah, there's like, yeah, there's, but there's like so many times throughout history where officers have kind of done that. Yeah. So it really, it really didn't surprise me. But we like, for like, as to leaving, we just kind of, we just did a roll call, which is really gay. Like, like this shit. They we did like an accountability formation, and then they were like, "Hey, we need to move five feet over there." And we had to pick up all of our gear and move five feet to the left, and then had to move five feet to the right, kind of thing. Like you know, kind of like normal Marine Corps shit. Uh huh. Because like the whole entire time, like we're out there, it was like the Wild West. It was like, like it was pretty pretty lawless out there. Like we were. I'm gonna go into like detail about like what downtime over there was like and stuff and but like it was like uh we were hot wiring cars and like just so we we could get guys transpo guys in and out of places Mm -hmm. we were like we were going around like to the souvenir shops that had been abandoned getting like afghanistan shirts and hoodies and stuff um at at one point they evacuated the chow hall workers there. So it was like the first week we were there. They um, evacuated the chow hall workers. So we're all hungry and tired of eating MREs. So a bunch of dudes broke into the chow hall and stole like loaves of bread, juice boxes, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And the Germans had just like a, a warehouse full of German MREs. And I'd only take the German MREs because they have these really good like dark chocolate bars in them. So I would like have a dump pouch full of like just German MRE chocolate bars. Damn, what what uh what are their MREs like? Uh um they have like these sausages and beans kind of thing. Their heaters actually work, which is crazy. But that's another thing I've realized about being deployed. Like, even on my first deployment, like, MREs in other countries work. Like, even American MREs. It's really weird. The whole dynamic is just weird. Like, once you leave Lejeune, like, your MRE heaters work. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Dude, that's yeah. actually weird. Now that I think about that, bro, yeah. my MRE heater never worked on Lejeune, dude. It never did. Every time I tried yeah. to use that fucker, it would not work. That or it would like fizzle out super quick. But whenever I wasn't yeah, on Lejeune, it worked fine. Yeah, it's like a whole different dynamic. Dude, and they what, have like a little Tabasco. The they have like the a little Tabasco sauce things that make the MREs like that just like that much better. Oh my god, that is, I can't believe I never, I never thought about that till now. <laughs> I literally, that never, That's... like, crossed my mind. That's yeah. Wild. Yeah, but, um, I'm trying to think of other things we did other than sleep during downtime. What like... about, um, what about when the, the order came down that you guys had to, like, uh, oh. call? Oh my lord. 
don't get me started. I guess I have to tell you now, but oh, that was gay, man. That was so gay. How did, so yeah, like what how happened was and, yeah. So somehow this is the story I heard. So General Sullivan, the Taliban were taking pictures of us, just trash and shit. Like you know, like like destroying the Bearcats, destroying like popping tires of vehicles and stuff. Writing fuck ISIS and fuck the Taliban everywhere, mm-hmm. and they were taking pictures of us from the mountains because if you've seen um seen that movie The Outpost, you know how it was like surrounded by mountains, right? It wasn't like that extreme as extreme, but it was like we we're kind of in a valley, somewhat. But as as we were leaving. We were, <laughs> we got told we had to go clean all the barracks and they, they kind of masked it and like, we're just trying to clean up stuff so the Taliban can't have it kind of thing. But it was a legit kind of police call and the Taliban had like seen it and contacted General Sullivan with Task Force 515. And so we had to go, like, each company in our battalion was assigned a sector to clean. And so the way they put it out, like, put it was, like, we were going to go in. They were like, yeah, we're going to go house to house clearing them out, like, trying to get us to kind of think, like, like, at first I was like, yeah, that's that's kind of cool. Like, we're going to do some real life mount, like going kicking doors make sure there's no squatters and then it was just us cleaning out the barracks dude like kind of like field day style what the take fuck? all the trash out taking out extra uniforms and putting them in piles kind that's, of thing yeah that's absurd but um the thing is so what we did with weapons and uniforms and stuff was we would put them we would put we had a hole this massive hole and we threw them in there disassembled weapons and shit and threw them in and then they would pour concrete into that hole and after deployment like for my pdha the post health like post point health assessment i heard a rumor that those counted as burn pits so I the lady on the phone with me, I was like, yeah, I heard a rumor like these count as burn pits, and she's like, oh yes, absolutely, go to the VA website now and sign oh, up oh. for the burn pit registry. Yeah, so I'm on the burn pit registry, Jesus. but apparently they're trying to get like page 11s for everybody because the air quality in Kabul was so bad. If later on in life we have trouble breathing, we could go to the VA for help, kind of thing. What did, I'm sure it smelled like shit there. Dude, it was stinky. I'm sure like, it smelled so bad there. Oh, all yeah. The planes, there would be times. All the helicopters, vehicles, and then all the people. Dude, there were like turds everywhere. Like, turd. Like, just solid pieces of poop. One of my buddies in 2nd Platoon, like, when, like, the first couple days we were on the airfield. Some Afghan dude was like reaching into his pants and throw like throwing poop at him. 
What? <laughs> you can't. Yeah, you can't make this shit up. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um. Holy yeah, shit. like the way the app. Yeah, the way the Afghans poop is really weird. Like they'll stand on top of the toilet seat and then squat and then poop. So sometimes they'll miss. They'll actually miss the toilet seat. Dude. So like the only place of solace and way of escaping is it's like pooping. Like just having some time to like throw in a lip, poop, and they ruined it. Dude, what a what a um <laughs> what a <laughs> I I don't even know. There aren't words for that. No, yeah, there is one word. It's stinky. Yeah. <laughs> One of my buddies like leaned over to me over there, and he's he goes, "Hey, hey, Genie, when we get back, I'm releasing a new line of scented candles called Afghan Porta Shitters." <laughs> oh my yeah, but God. once we got back to Kuwait, um, like uh, my my frogs, I threw them in the wash and everything, like. They, like it was the same pair of frogs I had been wearing for like the last two weeks, and even after like washing them, they were still gross. How how did it feel when you guys finally got on that plane and you guys were leaving? I was kind of nervous, honestly, because like uh, I I wasn't sure if like they were actually going to shoot us down, kind of thing, because. Like earlier, like the week before that, I'd seen I'd seen like the C seventeens like get shot at and sparks fly off the planes and they would like shoot flares out on the runway kind of thing. Kind of thing, you know? Uh-huh. But we got up and I was pretty I was like pretty nervous about it. But um I was just thinking, yeah, if I die, like it's going to be me and my friends, so it can't be that bad. Like, Jeez, I had kind of already nice. accepted, like, if, out there, like, if I die, I die kind of thing. Like, <laughs> like one of my buddies from, who's a squad leader in second, he's, like, walks up to me, and he's like, Zini, I, I haven't seen you this entire time. I just, I just imagined us, like, going out, in a hail of gunfire. I was like, yeah, hasn't happened yet. But out there, like, out there, it's like kind of, um, you, you kind of, like, I, I, at least I did. I got in the mindset of if I die, die. This is what I, like, signed up to do. If I die, it can't be that bad kind of thing. But I did, like, uh, message my parents and a couple of my friends back home. I was like, yeah, so if something happens, like, like this is what happened. And I guess, like, this might be it. I'm not sure. but And that really freaked them out in hindsight. That might have not been the best thing to do. Yeah, no, I'm but sure it didn't that matter. was terrifying for them. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, like, at, like um, it was like, when we thought we were going to get overrun, me and a, a bunch of the team leaders and squad leaders from third platoon were like, like, yeah, this kind of sounds moto and stupid, but like, if we we get overrun, we're just going to fight as hard as we can. 
and take as many as we like take take with us as many as like we can get kind of thing yeah but you have to just like when i was over there i just had the mentality of like just be ready to die if something happens but now i'm out of the marine corps and i'm here which is kind of crazy thinking about it i was gonna say yeah so when you got back from all that i mean this was like a life-altering kind of experience and when you came back to lejeune what what the fuck did you feel like what what was going through your head oh (laughs) so me and my friends were like we're just thinking we're like we're the saltiest motherfuckers on this goddamn base now kind of thing (laughs) but I remember, so what happened was we um, we left our gear, most of our gear, on the ship. So I only packed, like, one pair of camis, like, actual camis that weren't frogs. And they were the most beat-up camis, like, you could think of, like, spraying holes in them, patches. Like, they're kind of white on the back, just sun-bleached. And I was out... Like, you know, like, that food, the, how, like, the main PX in Lejeune has, like, the food trucks, the, um, like, that one pizza place? Mm-hmm. It's like, I was there, and some gunny walks up to me, and he's like, hey, Marine, do you really think it's appropriate of you to wear this at the PX? And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, gunny. I, 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 we had just come back from the 24th Mew, and I left all my stuff on ship. And then after that, his whole, like, persona towards me changed kind of thing. Oh, shit. But, yeah. But, yeah, he started talking about when he was in Afghanistan. And in my mind, I was just like, I don't really care, dude. I just want pizza <laughs> kind of thing. But, um, but, like, with that whole experience, like, every single decision we made out there was, like, on the fly. Like, we couldn't, like... Like, there's no amount of training that could have prepared us for it kind of thing. It was like, yes, training will help. will help you um, be able to stay calm in stressful situations, but it's like Murphy's Law kind of thing. Your, Your initial plan won't... Your initial plan won't survive first contact kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But... Training wise, it's just like put your dudes through stressful situations where they're gonna have to make like decisions like on the fly kind of thing. I was gonna say what what um what stuff from training did you think directly um just kind of kick in while you guys were over there? That's kind of um kind of a hard question because you know how in Lejeune, our ranges are pretty much like pretty much the same. You know, it's like mortars will suppress what guns occupies the support by fire. And that's, that's condition set for the riflemen to break the tree line and move into the trench kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's just, um, I guess like training in the quad where like, where it really counts, where, I guess when my scene when I was a boot, my seniors were always over us. Like, okay, so 
I'll, I'll say this real quick. Like, no offense to my seniors, but we didn't really learn anything from them. We just kind of got really fucked up by my seniors. Like, like they're good dudes, but they weren't the best kind of teachers. But they would just haze the living dog shit out of us, like, every day on the gun line. But that, and yeah, for whoever's listening to this, this isn't an excuse to just, like, haze your boots for for no reason but it was uh more just like getting used to stressful situations and um adapting to it that that's like my best kind of like my best advice i guess because like once once bullets start flying like doctrine goes out the window kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah like most of my experiences in the Marine Corps, it's just like, um, it's like those what the fuck moments that kind of like stand out. Yeah. I guess. Because that's kind of so. insane because for me, it was absolutely mind blowing. Um, thinking about, you know, what the average Marine thinks about, you know, the Marine Corps these days and how everybody's deployments are kind of these bullshit little peacetime deployments and you guys were at like the very end of yours like what yeah yeah how what was it like two weeks before you guys would be would have been home no no we actually came back home early we were like uh oh really i think we're slotted we're actually slotted to come back in like october november and we got back in september kind of thing oh but we had left we had left in february so it was kind of longer than I guess your average deployment. Right. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, but so I guess, I guess that, uh, I guess I heard wrong then about that one part then, but, um, still it was just crazy though, thinking about where your guys' like mentalities probably were. And then all of a sudden you guys were just dropped into this shit show of a horribly planned exit from, uh, Afghanistan. Yeah, so my mindset before that was like, I was like maybe four, four or five months out from my EAS. So I'm, I was just like, I had like the worst, worst attitude towards like the bullshit. Like I was just like, fuck this, this is fucking gay. This is just a deployment for training kind of thing. And then that, then they dropped the Afghanistan bomb on us. And I was like, holy shit. I guess like we have to get our shit together for however long, but uh, like every everyone was prepared. Uh, everyone in my company, at least, like every like I'm glad I went into Afghanistan with the peers and junior guys. I did because like like for the most part, everyone was solid. Like I guess like we're not different than anyone else. We just got lucky kind of thing because our pieces of shit over there were still pieces of shit. Like, like it, uh, like I, I don't have a higher opinion of them just because they went to Afghanistan kind of thing. I still think they're pieces of shit, but yeah, like honestly, it doesn't really matter. Like this is my, my way of looking at it. It doesn't really matter about what you've, done unless like 
you're like a good dude and you like did the best you could out there. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm not going to lie. So on this deployment, I lost, I was, I was down in the dumps. Like I was a sad boy for a little bit, just sitting in my rack, watching movies and just chilling in the birthing kind of thing. You know, like, cause like you can't do much on a ship. Yeah. But you just have to like, you kind of have to like take it stride kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But once you get over there, it's like you realize like who actually gives a shit versus who actually does to give a shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's all incredible, dude. It's so insane that like all that happened so quickly and then ended so quickly. And it's like, how have you guys all like been since then? Like, How's everybody been kind of like coming home? And, Holding you know, up? Yeah, how's everybody holding up from it? For the most part, everyone's, I would say, well, I just got out like a week ago, not even. From what I've seen in the barracks, it's like, not like before we left, we were throwing barracks ragers like every weekend kind of thing. Like, thing i noticed was like nobody hangs around the barracks anymore like the barracks when i asked like things were kind of dead so i wasn't like i guess too sad too sad about it but um it was just like a whole different vibe i guess feeling like when we got back but for the most part everyone's doing pretty well um nothing too crazy honestly like What's really surprising, yeah, what's really surprising is um, we didn't have any libo and we only had one libo incident like incident that was a guy getting a DUI and like that wasn't like just the reflection of like how we were acting in garrison wasn't enough to make things like really dumb for the rest of us mm-hmm. and I guess they did cut us some slack, but the the leadership was pushing on us like all eyes are on us right now don't soil the reputation of the battalion which i totally understand kind of thing right but it was like once we got to lejeune it was like business as usual annual training um like we did our little marine corps ramadan and now they're just getting ready for the next workup Guys are sent to getting sent to other units, kind of thing. Yeah, they're trying to like, they're trying to adapt to that uh twenty thirty, like that Marine Corps twenty thirty plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was almost enough to make me kind of want to stay in, I guess. Dude, but it's, at it's the same cool time, seeing all the like new gear and like all the all the stuff they're doing is it, it actually. <clears throat> <laughs> Sorry, um, it actually looks pretty cool. Yeah, it's like um, a lot of it, I think, too, is like finally like guys that were in our Grand Seniors peer group are making their way up to staff and actually being able to um, talk to higher, higher Marine Corps, like fill in billets that are up at Quantico and just be like, hey, this is what we need. Give us what we need kind of thing. Yeah, like modernizing. I, I really like it that that Marine Corps is focusing on modernizing. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like with uh, 
Like that's like the shit I wish we had over there. But we deployed with uh, the new like with the suppressors on our rifles. Uh-huh. And after about three days over there, like we we're shooting warning shots and we we're taking off our suppressors so we could and just stuffing them in our like pockets. And then our command was just like, fuck it. Turn in your suppressors to headquarters. We'll re redisperse them when we leave, kind of thing. Yeah. 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 But um. Yeah. Either way, like I feel like the Marine Corps was a good experience for for me at least. Like I'm happy Afghanistan happened because uh, I, if it didn't, I would have really left the Marine Corps with like such a bad taste in my mouth. Like I probably would have been really bitter yeah, about things. Yeah, I was things. gonna say what's um how. How did that experience kind of shift your um, opinion on the Marine Corps? It it really made me realize like how how cool being a Marine could be in like a combat environment, I guess, because there was just like so much leeway that you wouldn't get in Lejeune that we had. Um, I guess. Like cuffing sleeves, not shaving. Like, yeah, like sometimes we'd get told to shave, but it wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, but we could pretty much do what we wanted for the most part. It was kind of crazy. It made me realize like how different the Marine Corps could be during a time of war. Like, um, like I straight up told my CEO when I was EASing, like. Like if there if we could go back to Afghanistan, I'd reenlist, kind of thing. Like, like you know, it's like it it was a grunt's dream out there, kind of thing. Like, especially our generation, I guess. Like, we all we all signed up to go over there, so when getting to go over there was just like our wet dream as kids, like seeing the war on on the news and shit, and actually mm-hmm. being able to go over there but like uh but like yeah if the war was still happening i 100 percent would have re-enlisted kind of thing yeah and that's insane yeah, too because you guys are part of like a really like kind of dramatic part of uh history in uh um, yeah in the united states like that's for like a really dramatic part of history <laughs> Yeah, I honestly at the time didn't really think about it like that, but like now it's like uh it's like wow. Yeah. Yeah, like your kids are going to like learn about that in school and ask you about it one day and you'll be like, "Oh yeah, I was there." Yeah, except like one day they're just going to pull out my boot camp picture. I'm going to be like, "Yo, put that the fuck away." <laughs> kind of, like Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if you if you pull out my boot camp picture, you're excommunicado. Dude, I made a joke about it the other day. Like, your parents will take like your most boot, like busted looking pictures, and frame them and shit, and put them all over the <laughs> house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That actually, so you know that one, the picture of me up there, like with the shotgun. They put that out during the. The time of the Abbey Gate bombing saying like like this is um like thirteen Marines got got killed well thirteen service members got killed 
and they had that picture up on the news. And my family saw that, my friends saw it, and re- like the ones that recognized me thought I was dead for for a day or so. And I was like, I was like, those fucking assholes, like putting, I was like, that was a dick move for whoever decided to put that picture up. Dude, wait, so your parents thought you were dead? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, they were just here waiting for the call kind of thing. Jesus Christ. Dude, that <laughs> is horrible. You know, it's kind of fucked up, but looking back on it, it's like one of those things where it's like, yeah, in a couple years we'll be laughing about it. But at the time, I was kind of pissed. I was like, what the fuck, man? Yeah, dude. Uh, that's like, that's really, really bad. That's really, 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 that's a really bad fuck up. Yeah, yeah. I should, like, sue CNN and I was going to say, yeah, for... dude, that's almost something that you can, <laughs> that's like a, that's like traumatizing. That's like, uh, you definitely, dude, you should look into that. You definitely could probably, uh, definitely. Yeah, it's that. not worth, it's definitely know, not man. worth right. doing that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, yeah. That's looking still, back that's on extremely it, extremely fucked. That is extremely fucked up. Um, look at yeah, yeah. But like, looking back on it, like, happy we did it. Like, like, um, it's kind of one of those things. It's like can't believe you were there, but because like now it's like I've been talking to my friends, and it's like a bunch of us just want to want to be back over there doing our job because our generation of um infantrymen just like that's all we wanted to Mm -hmm. fucking do and now it's now it's kind of like what the fuck now kind of thing yeah i was gonna say because you guys were there for about what two two weeks in total or was it a little bit more than two weeks um um i'm not 100% 100% sure the time there kind of just yeah just went by yeah but, but um, it, yeah I was gonna say it was almost like a short span of time but everything in within that uh, span of time was like like a really dramatic experience and then like all of a sudden it's just like it came and went so quick yeah it's like um a bunch of dudes back in garrison were like like we've been talking to, like we've been reaching out and talking to other Afghanistan veterans we we know or like hit us up on social media, and at first it was just like we were only there for two weeks kind of thing. But the dudes that we were talking to were like, "No, dude, like you guys did like the real deal over there," kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know. I feel like like we got like a whole whole afghanistan deployment kind of thing like thrown at us within the span of two weeks yeah because you guys yeah you guys you guys went through like two weeks of non-stop just hell honestly it was just fucked up it was like super super fucked up literally just watching history like repeat itself oh yeah like um yeah, watching the pictures of the embassies yeah. getting evacuated kind of thing. Yeah, it's just like like eerily similar. 
Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent, man. It was just, um, I guess, kind of surreal. I guess, like thinking we were ending a war that started when we we're two years old. Yeah, yeah, that's another thing that uh, a lot of people, I think, that kind of hit home for a lot of like um, older vets because it's like a lot of them signed up to go over there to protect you know, their families and kids and, you know, like, just, you know, Americans. And then those same people that they went over to fight for in the early 2000s, you know, all the way up, are, and then all of a sudden those kids are now, you know, fighting and dying. And then, you know, and the whole situation that happened in Kabul, and it's just, it's insane. It's really yeah, insane, yeah. My uh, my views on like the whole Abigail bombing is like it, like it was all for us, like kind of luck, I guess, like that we lived because it could have been like any gate that they decided to attack. It's just like Abigail was the most convenient for them. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, those guys like definitely like sacrificed their lives so like the dudes at the other gates could live then that that's my my way of looking at it yeah yeah so i kind of i kind like we all took that attack kind of personally out there yeah i remember seeing it on the news um somebody sent me it and I remember, like, I kind of just, like, stopped with everything. I Like, I don't, I don't even remember what I was doing. I just remember, like, whatever I was doing at the time, I remember, like, I kind of just, like, kind of froze. And then, like, because for me, like, seeing, because at first it was saying, like, three Marines killed um, in blast. And, and then I'm just kind of sitting there thinking about, like, you guys. And then thinking, like, you know, it for me, it's like seeing, like, my friends getting killed almost you know it's like i don't know it's just it's just really fucked up right and then seeing you know knowing what like the average marine is like nowadays too just from having you know been in the fleet and done you know all four years and then seeing people seeing you guys going through this stuff all of a sudden it's just it's like insane it's like so crazy yeah, like, the thing that the, I guess, war movies don't really show is, like, actually how young, like, everyone is in the infantry, because it's, like, 18 through 22-year-olds out yeah. there, because, um, because, like, um, because, like, mo- like, when we showed up to Kabul, like, the other foreign militaries who hadn't worked with Marines before were, like, you know, we the Marine Corps has this reputation. And we show up and we all look like kids kind of thing. And they were like surprised to see how young all of us were. And the the kids who got like, I, I'm just going to like say it like those, those guys that the, who got killed were, were kids kind of thing. They were just really young and now like their lives were, lives were, were snuffed out just from that attack. Yeah. It's just really sad thinking about it it's like crazy too for me because like just seeing what um being in the marine corps does like 
to any of us because you come out of it way more mature than you know people on the outside and then once you're back in that and you're around it all the time it's like crazy seeing just how kind of different you are from the whole experience yeah i i haven't really gotten to experience yeah i was gonna that, say but... like I, i'm kind of interested <laughs> to see like what your your opinions on that are gonna be because you went through a whole even like crazier experience of the marine corps and then like I, i'm kind of interested to see like what transitioning is going to be like for you yeah it's like um i was reading kyle carpenter's book you're worth it i i absolutely loved it but at the end he was like he was like just talking about like giving his fellow classmates like some leeway, you know, because they've never experienced anything crazy. I mm-hmm. guess like like that. Like I'm not trying to not trying to compare yeah. my experience to Kyle Carpenter's. He's been through absolutely way more than all of us did. But like it's just like um, the story of just like transitioning out, like just kids, kids being kids and focusing on stupid shit that doesn't matter but but like they also have to accommodate us us coming out of the marine corps and us being the way we are it's kind of it's kind of um you can't expect them to understand anything about it yeah because it's like so yeah and then at the same time they kind of like i don't know it's it's weird they'll feel weirded out because like you're different and shit. Yeah, it's like um, <laughs> it's like that one Terminal Boots video about getting out. It's like I gotta choose. I gotta choose the outfit that'll that'll intimidate every eighteen year old whenever I go to college, kind of thing. <laughs> but yeah, now that I'm backing out, now it's like kind of weird just being back. I like um. Uh, yeah, but the more I'm home now, it's like reminds me like why I joined, and I'm just like, damn, I really wish I was back in Afghanistan with the boys, kind of thing. Yeah, it's such a crazy experience, and then it was such a short amount of time too. And then, mm-hmm. like, like just like you said too, like we are so young, like dudes, we we forget, like a lot of dudes forget just how young we are, and. It is absolutely insane to me, like, the things we go through, and especially, like, the things that you guys went through. And, like, like, like you said, too, in these movies, they have all these, like, middle-aged, like, characters, fucking, or actors that are, like, in their 30s and shit, you know, fucking slinging lead, fucking dual-wielding 240s and shit. And, um, but like, that's not even like close to the reality of it. Even in the Pacific, they have a lot of like older guys playing, um, the character, the characters, um, in the stories and shit. But yeah, like a lot of dudes are like 17 to like 20, 21, 20. I mean, I got out at 23, you know, and like, that's kind of what majority of the, the, dudes are like a lot of dudes are just these super young people and it's insane what we go through part of it i think too is just like um if they showed it 
showed it for like how old we actually are. I think that'd be like too much for an audience to kind of handle. Yeah. Kinda, you know, like, yeah, it's like, maybe. think about like, when you think about like your brand new graduated kid from high school, that's what like everybody, all the boots kind of look like. Yep. So yeah, it's kind of crazy thinking about it. And then, that's what they're trying to tr- like try to they're trying to do right now is like try to have a more matured force because they're realizing like maybe having like a fighting like guys in combat arms that are mostly eighteen to twenty year olds isn't such a great idea kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. But um. But yeah, I think um. I think yeah, the whole experience is definitely insane. I'm actually pro- I'm actually about to go over to one of my buddies' houses who he was in Afghanistan in 2019. Mm-hmm. So I'll I'll be definitely talking to him about that. But his deployment was honestly way worse than, than ours, kind mm-hmm. of thing, you know. Damn. Like, like I I really wish like we we're at, I I was born a little earlier so we could have gotten like that full full on experience kind of thing because. Growing up in the fleet, like, thankfully, like, now you know how, like, platoon sergeants are now your grand seniors. Like, when we hit the fleet, our platoon sergeants were all salt, were fucking salt dogs. Like, Marja, like, Marja in early 2000, like, late 2000s Iraq vets, like, that were able to raise us in the fleet kind of thing. Right. Yeah, so... Yeah, like, um, just hearing their stories when I was a boot was kind of crazy. I never thought I'd be able to experience something even close to theirs. Yeah, I I don't even, I'm still, like, your guys' whole experience still kind of, like, blows my mind. It's like... Yeah, like, um, we finished, I guess we kind of finished the war, like, how it started. Like, guys on a Mew... Like, the war started with Marines in the Philippines and Thailand partying it up on the Mew, and then they got told they're going to Afghanistan. And yeah. just us on the Mew just tell, got getting told, like, getting drunk in Greece and the UK and Bahrain, and then getting told we're going to go finish the war kind of thing was definitely kind of crazy. Uh, yeah, I can't really think about much else to say about the whole experience other than, like, like I'm really grateful for it, and now I'm grateful to be alive every day, kind of thing. Yeah, I'm sure because that definitely uh, that definitely changes your perspective on uh, a lot of things after experiencing yeah. something like that. Yeah, just being out and being able to enjoy enjoy things like after being over there just makes me really grateful about every day, kind of thing. Back in Lejeune when I was getting out, I was just thinking this is kind of bullshit. Because, you know, like, yeah, you, you have the Marine Corps still over you, but now that I'm out, I get to actually experience life. It's like I'm grateful for just, like, life kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of crazy how much, like, because uh, like, for me, when I, when I got out, I I started to realize just how big the world really was. If, like, I know that sounds kind of weird, but, like, 
like you know how like when you're in the marine corps you're kind of like almost in this bubble where it's like home like your little small area a couple friends and then you go um, you come back to the marine corps and then you're constantly in that little area and that's kind of all you know and then whatever little training um exercises you get flown out to and then deployments and stuff but like i don't know when i got out i started like going to college and shit i I don't know. The world seemed like a lot bigger. Yeah, definitely. Like, I guess when you're in the Marine Corps, you just get get sucked into a bubble, and it only revolves around the Marine Corps. Like, um, I guess that's why like relationships is for barracks Marines are so hard. Yeah, it's just uh, just whoever you're you're dating can't really understand understand the life you're living. And I honestly don't blame them. Yeah. Like, it's uh, it's it's tough, like to to like be with somebody that's that's only in this bubble kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, but at the same time, for us, it sucks. Yeah, it sucks because like you just kind of like you just wish they understand, and then they don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what um what else have you noticed so far just being out? <laughs> just being able to do whatever I want, I guess, without having to tell anybody where I'm where I am, you know? Yeah. Yeah, being out that's so nice. Like I, I definitely I definitely miss my friends. Like that's what made the Marine Corps a big like bearable, you know, all the guys that you went through everything with made it bearable, but other than that, like life is great. Yeah, like, I I can't complain. I can do like, like looking forward, it's like I can do anything I want. Definitely gonna miss all the boys though. Like that's the biggest thing for me is just missing all my friends. But I, everyone has to go through that when they transition. Yeah, you'd all rather be uh, happy apart than miserable together. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's like, yeah, it's the um, uh, it's like happy, happy or leaving, sad to see you go, kind of thing. Yeah, 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 man. Same with me with all my buddies. Like, I miss them all, but at the same time, we're all like way happier. (laughs) Yeah, Um, it's like if if you watch the boys thrive, it's like you're happy. You're happy they're thriving. Yeah. But yeah, man. I want to thank you though, man, for coming and like talking about all this stuff with me, dude. This is super cool. Yeah, dude. It was yeah, it was awesome. Uh, actually, being able to come on here and talk about it and yeah. let all the other dudes who are listening know about it. Yeah, man. Um, and I definitely want to like talk to you later on, like, and see how how you're feeling about like transition and stuff in like maybe like two, three months to see like <laughs> what you think then Yeah, about everything. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. College. Yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. hit you up on Snapchat. Yeah. Dude. Talking to you about college. That'll Granted, be I'll probably, I'll probably come out the gate swinging kind of thing. Just like <laughs> average veteran complaints. Like these kids are a bunch of fucking pussies, but yeah, dude. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, that'll be cool, man. Can't wait to do it. Yeah, I'll I'll talk to you later. All right. Well, it was good. Uh, it was good talking with you, man. And for uh, everybody else, we'll uh, see you next time.